Well, we continue this morning looking at our stewardship as it relates to the local church. And we've been trying to um, see it, especially from Acts. Where are we? Oh, never mind. Hold on. Let's close in. <laughs> anyway, we're in Acts chapter 2. We want to look at our stewardship as we've been given the privilege to serve our Lord, as is described in Acts chapter 2. Peter has just preached a lengthy message on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people professed to know Christ. They were baptized. And then we find out what they did. And I'd ask you to follow as I begin reading in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, as we look at this passage, I want to remind you that there are two key words that we need to keep in mind, and that is they continued steadfastly. We'll see more about that later. But remember, Satan does not want us to walk with the Lord. The flesh is against it as well, but yet they pressed on and grew, and the church multiplied as they continued steadfastly. I want to remind you of three things we've looked at so far, all found in verse 42, as it says, they continued steadfastly, first, in the apostles' doctrine. That is, they were given in their stewardship to attend to the ministry of the word of God together. They gathered to hear the preached word, yes, from apostles, but as time went on over the years and centuries, it was the apostles' doctrine. It was the ministry of the word, if you would, that they gathered to hear and to grow. We also saw that this stewardship that was given to the people of God included fellowshipping with God's people. That meant a shared life. And that naturally comes about as we have the same Lord, the same Savior, striving to please the Lord where we are, building up one another. And you know, it's sad to say, but I believe this is missing in so many lives of those who profess to know Christ, to actually desire to share with one another, to get, take the time to encourage and minister. Church did it at the beginning, and we ought to see it even today. And then the third thing, which we saw last time, was the stewardship that is given to share in communion. As the church family gathers, 
in obedience to our Lord's command, this do in remembrance of me. Well, this morning we move to the fourth and last item mentioned in verse 42, and that is that the stewardship that was given, these people would continue in corporate prayer. I want to remind you that all four items mentioned in verse 42 are done together. These things aren't done in a uh, isolation attitude. The gathering for the word, the gathering in fellowship, for communion, and now corporate prayer. And as we look at this, I want to remind you of the key words, really, that summarize how they did it in verse 42, and that is they continued steadfastly. Sometimes it's difficult, but they persevered to gather and to move on together. Many of the verses that we look at were written to the local church to, make, to meet God's people's needs, and we'll see that this morning. So with that, we want to remember the people we're looking at come from a Jewish background from the temple or synagogues as their location might be. And now they're going to press on. And so these people were familiar with what we call corporate prayer or doing it together. In fact, in chapter one notice of Acts, and we're gonna look at several verses in the book of Acts, look at verse 14. It says, talking of the disciples and some others, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The small group of 120, they gathered to pray. And that's going to spread as we'll see. An example of this, if you will, is found in Acts chapter 3. Would you go there, please? Well, they were familiar with stated times of prayer. It was just a common thing. And so in chapter 3, look how it begins. As this chapter unfolds. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. By the way, which was the ninth hour, or three in the afternoon. But it was the time when they'd get together and pray. The early church would find a specific time where they wanted together. This was part of their lives. It was natural for them to pray. And so I want to see just two things about this, really, with a lot of other things in between. But notice here, we see that there were special occasions for gathered prayer in the early church special times where they would meet together to pray. And I want to share those special times. And the first one we want to look at is in Acts 6. If you would turn there. Acts chapter 6, where we find the choosing of the first deacons of the church. Notice Acts 6, beginning at verse 1. It says, Now in those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplying, people are still getting saved. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists 
because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So there's problems within the church. How are we going to handle it? Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables or to meet the temporal needs. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. We will do our job as they would do theirs. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy, of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And then notice, and they set before the apostles, whom they set before the apostles, and when they, the group, prayed, they laid hands on them. And what is this laying on of hands? It's an identification to be in it with them. And so they would go forth, bathed in the prayer of the disciples, of those who are following the Lord. That was one of the first group meetings of any significance for the church. But then as we move on, we also see that um, it was tied to sending out those ministering the word. Go to chapter 13 of Acts. Acts 13. As the church grows, they see needs elsewhere, so they pick some individuals to go out. And let's look at this in Acts 13, beginning at verse 1. It says, Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And he goes on and names them. Barnabas, Simeon, who's, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And by the way, just a little tidbit here. Saul will later be called Paul. And they, these guys in verse 1, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So as they prayed, we, and we'll see in more in a moment, the Holy Spirit said, These are the two guys I want to go forth. They recognized that. So verse 3 then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Now, as we see here, they recognize this calling, and they laid their hands on them. Now, what does that mean to lay hands on somebody? They do it when a missionary is being sent forth, and often at the installation of a pastor, they may end up putting their hands on him. Why? Because it's saying we identify with that ministry. That ministry is our ministry. They recognize that and they prayed together. And these people would go out. And that would happen many times over the centuries. There's another time when the church would get together to pray. It was simply difficult times. Go back to Acts 4. Now, we're going to look at two illustrations of this 
But it's important we realize this as now it's getting worse and worse even in our day of these trials that we call difficult times. Acts 4, beginning at verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. They're preaching, and these guys come up, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They didn't like their preaching. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and about the number of the men came to be about 5,000. People believed, but those who preached were put in jail. I saw a video the other night, my wife and I were watching it, about some of the castles in England. And there was this one castle where there's a mean king. And they would even take Christians and put them into this one area of the um, castle. It, it was kind of like a prison, only worse. It was The opening was about two feet, and they would put them down. They would slide down into this bigger area. And that was it. It was about 15, 20 feet down, no windows. No way out, and you went in there for one purpose, to die. And that was a place where they would dump garbage and other refuse. And Christians were put in there as well for preaching. Want to go and preach someplace? Keep those things in mind. Because you know what happens in our world today when sometimes people claim to be a Christian. It costs their lives, and that is not uncommon. Well, we go on here, and I want you to notice chapter 4 here, verse 7. It says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power have you done this? What do you, who gives you the right to preach like this? And Peter's going to answer. But let's go down to verse 15. But when they had commanded them after that, after he had answered, but they had commanded them to go outside of the council. They conferred among themselves. They heard Peter's statement. They sent him out. Let's talk. Saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. So, but so that it spreads no further. This message among the people let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Can you imagine telling the P Peter and the other disciples not to preach? <coughs> Verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, because the people, since they all glorified God for what they had seen. And so these threats and everything have taken place. 
What happens? Verse 23. So being let go, they went to their companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders said. Now look at what they do. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And they go on and they recognize God's hand in everything that's taking place. We go down to verse 29. Now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. In the midst of this persecution, they prayed for boldness by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayers and they were ready to go once again. Why? Because they wanted to, because they wanted to preach with boldness. And they prayed together. And then go to chapter 12. Persecution goes on. Peter's now been arrested. James has been killed. I mean, Herod's really excited. I get to persecute these guys. And so what happens while Peter's in prison? I want you to notice verse 5. Acts 12 verse 5 tells us, Peter was therefore kept in prison. Now notice, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Okay, do you see that? He's in prison. Peter's, or James is dead. And the church is gathered praying. Not just a little ditty of a prayer, but constant prayer. Well, we go back to the prison, and Peter, though he's chained and with other guards and everything, an angel comes, and he's released. Well, what's he going to do? It's interesting. He knows exactly what to do. He goes to a house, a specific house. We pick up reading in verse 13. Um, when he came to the house, let's go back to verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. We know him as Mark, the writer of the gospel. And he came there where, where many were gathered together praying. Many. Let's go on. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate. A girl named Rhoda came and answered to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, notice she didn't open the door. He, she said, who is it? And he said, it's Peter. And she recognized his voice. And because of the gladness of her heart, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And look at what they'd say. They said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. And they said, it is his angel. They concluded he was dead like James. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw and were astonished. Why were they astonished? I don't believe it's because he answered prayer. But because it was so quick. But I want you to notice in particular verse 5. 
It said, while he's in prison, they're praying. It says this, Peter, therefore, is kept in prison, and constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. It's the church gathered. The church is there praying well into the hours of the night. And God answered their prayer. It's exciting. The church, this special occasion, got together. They started early. I don't think they started at 9 at night. They started and they prayed for a long time. And there's a knock and it's Peter. God answered the prayer. But I want to keep going on this thinking about some of the occasions for their prayer, there's another one, and that is in the context of trials in ministry. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. As Gary was teaching this morning, I thought he's going to share some of the same stuff I am. And, um, but I want you to see something here as we reflect upon what's going on. And in particularly, discouragement and depression. We're talking about Paul, but I want you to see verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 1. It says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burden beyond measure, in fact, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Despaired of life. We were so down in the dumps. We were discouraged and depressed. That's what he's saying here. Okay? But before we look at, before we look at this passage more, remember, he's in despair. When Joshua began his, began his ministry, the Lord said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, that encouragement. Because it's going to be hard when you go forth. And things are going to be discouraging. I'm reminded of David. He wrote two Psalms, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And both of them have this statement in them. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? What he's saying is I'm down in the dumps. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. And the answer, hope in God. But as you go back to 2 Corinthians, if you're not there, I want to read you a quote about Charles Spurgeon. Some of you, I hope most of you or all of you, I trust, have heard of him. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. He started his ministry in um, London. He had a very large church, but he faced many issues. And I want to read you about one of them. This comes um, from one of the, a writer about his um, life, and he talked about this. Spurgeon w had great discouragement. A fire, well wait, wasn't there a fire? Age 22, as pastor of a large church and with twin babies at home to look after, he was preaching to thousands in the Surrey Gardens Music Hall 
when pranksters yelled, fire! Starting a panic to exit the building, which killed seven and left 28 severely injured. His mind was never the same again. His wife, Susanna, wrote, here's what she wrote, my beloved's anguish was so deep and violent that reason seemed to totter in her throne, and we sometimes feared that he would never preach again. See, that happened and it brought him so low. Well, by God's grace, he did press on. And in his writings, he talks about other times of discouragement. But notice in 2 Corinthians, I want you to see here, as Paul's is writing to the church at Corinth, and remember we saw in verse 8 about his despair. We'll follow as I begin at verse 7, getting the context. It says, And our hope for you, the church at Corinth, is steadfast, because we know that you are partakers of the sufferings, so also will partake of the consolation. That means you're sharing in our sufferings, so you'll share in the comfort. For we do not, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure of our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us in whom we trust, that he will still deliver us. You also, now notice what he says to the church, you also helping together in prayer for us, that the result is, thanks may be given by many on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. You prayed for us as a church. And because you shared that burden and God answered it, you also rejoice and share in the answers to those prayers. You prayed, you're blessed. It's like praying for the Fletchalls. I was hoping we'd hear from him before today about Friday's procedure on his heart. We were hoping, we never heard, but we shared in that burden. Now, well, I imagine we'll get to share in the blessings of it all, but we'll just have to wait till we learn. But you begin to see what's going on here. But there's more I want to look at as we move on. I want you to think for a moment in the context of what we're looking at about Paul. He mentions discouragement. And, you know, discouragement for pastors and ministry missionaries is not uncommon. I want to share some things from a book that's titled, What Discourages Pastors? And I want to just share a couple of what he shared, that you might begin to understand some of the things that, yes, pastors go through, missionaries go through. But let me just share some of these. One is criticisms about the message or what you do. And that's a common thing in those areas when you hear people feel that they can criticize in those areas or unfair expectations. He is the one to do it. He's got to do the job. I don't have to, whatever it might be. Uh, he didn't call on me 
Or even this, you should have done that. And so unfair expectations. Or when leadership is not followed. God has put them there according to uh, Hebrews 13 to lead. And some will openly refuse to follow or complain or even fight about it. Or loneliness. No spiritual help. No mentors. I remember when I was younger and I had these older pastors who were there to encourage. And that was so neat. Then I got on the other side. And then I got to minister to the younger guys. And that's so exciting. We need to realize loneliness can be a part of it. But let's move on. I want to talk about praying for ministry in general. And look at Romans 15. Paul wrote, Now I beg you, brethren, to the church, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you, church, strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Share in this as a church. Pray together. What an exciting thought as he wrote the church at Rome. We shared Wednesday night about something that Paul Tripp was having that ministry with various athletes. And we prayed as a church for him and for that event. And the only thing I've picked up so far is that it went well. But I haven't been able to learn any more than that. You know, a lot of times people will make a prayer request and you don't get the answer. Like Wednesday nights even. But let's move on. Um, thinking about the early church. But I want to move ahead in time where we look at today. Because there are special occasions for gathered prayer at Emmanuel Baptist Church. For just as in the early church, there were special occasions, special reasons, so the church today. And I want to share a few of these. Many of the passages we've considered will actually fit here as well. For example, we choose deacons. We do it, try and do it the same way. We are involved in missions and sending out workers into the field. And as we do that, we're committed to them. Case in point, Ted Fletchall, who had that procedure Friday. Uh, we're committed to pray for them regularly. Do we do it? We have said we'd pray for others. For example, the Holmeses or the Watleys or Bill Adams. Do we? How often do we hear prayer requests for our missionaries on Wednesday nights? We've even been praying, some of us, about expanding our base of missionaries. We've recognized God's hand in the life of David. Are you praying for him, even as he preaches today? God has given the church the privilege of praying together. We have a local ministry. Hardly a week goes by on Wednesday. When someone in at least the group I'm in, and I've heard it from others, they pray for their pastors. That's good. Like Paul said to Rome, strive together with me in your prayers for me. Strive. It's not always easy. This caused me to ask a question 
If we had somebody, anybody, in our midst who was in a dire situation, did you hear about the need? That kind of thing? Would we be willing to go to the inconvenience, to gather together, to pray? Oh, somebody might say we can pray at home, and we can. But, oh, the privilege of sharing as a church. That's what the early church did. They continued steadfastly in prayer. You need to think about it. God can answer prayer regardless of where we pray from. But the scriptures indicate the church gathered to pray. Now, as we close, I don't know what that means, but anyway, as we close, I want to ask a few questions to cause us again to think. Think about this idea of corporate prayer. And the first question as we think about this is, is prayer important to us or to you, to me? I'm talking about prayer in general, but this morning together as well. Is it evident in our walk? A lot of times people say, I'll pray for you, or we'll use those terms, but do we mean it? Let me share something with you. We print out a prayer bulletin on Wednesdays for a couple of reasons. So we'll um, have needs, as we do, but and, and we write them ahead of time to your missions and so on. But so you can also write down other prayer requests. I want you to think about this for a moment, those of you who are at prayer meetings. How can you pray if you don't remember the prayer requests? Maybe 10 people voice requests. If you're not writing them down, how do you remember them? See, that's why we do that. It's so we can pray for other things on the list. Is prayer important to us? That's a question we need to answer. But also, is the church praying for you important? And I imagine you would say, yes, I want the church to pray for me. And, and we ought to be praying for one another on a regular basis. I remember a pastor friend of mine and, and I'm not sure how to answer this. But he received a phone call one time from a lady in his church. And she said this, Pastor, um, I know tonight's prayer meeting, but I won't be there. Um, but would you share this prayer request? And so she shared it with him. And here was his answer. No. If it's not important enough to you to be there and share it, it's not important to me. Think about that. Think about that. Interesting. But see, we are, need to see the importance of sharing and ministering together. Here's another question. Why is it that prayer meeting is the least attended of services? We say it's important. Let me, let me illustrate this. We're going to have a 
special business meeting a week from tonight. By the way, it's an illustration. And we're going to vote to no longer have prayer meetings during the week. We're going to just cancel prayer meetings, but we want the church to act. How do you respond to that? Or, or maybe we're only going to meet quarterly. How do we respond to that? Some are work, some are providentially hindered. Oh, it's good to know your church is praying. I remember another question that came to mind one time. My wife and I were dating. I think we were dating anyway, during that long time ago. And we were sitting in her home church. And the attendance was down for prayer meeting that night. And the weather wasn't good. I don't remember if it was snowing, raining, sunning, whatever. But the weather wasn't good. And I said, I wouldn't, and of course, I'm new in the faith and so on. And I say to her, I says, where is everybody? And she made this comment. Well, didn't you know? No, she set me up. Didn't I know what? That Baptists are fair-weathered friends. And then I realized that was a term I'd hear many more times over the years. One person said, every time we absent ourselves, unless providentially hindered, we're voting to get rid of it. Think about this. Now, with that in mind, I want to remind you, and you say, oh, you've been awful pointed and harsh. Okay. But remember what it said in Acts 2? Remember the key words? It said they continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. What do we see in our lives? Maybe you're here tonight, this morning, and you're not even tied to the church. Maybe you ought to take care of that. Maybe you don't even know the Lord. Ought to take care of that. Because when we're confronted with the scriptures, we're going to respond. How do we? Are we honest with ourselves about prayer and the gathered church and bearing burdens, worshiping our Lord and honoring him? Let's reflect. Heavenly Father, we've looked at much this morning. We realize that you have given us the church, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we can bear one another's burdens. We thank you for prayer. We thank you that we have the privilege in our day, at least for now, to be able to gather and bear burdens. Now, Lord, guide us as we would go forth from here for your glory in Jesus' name.